piece of me? Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You're gonna need a bigger boat. I feel the need. The need for speed. I wish I knew how to quit you. Love means never having to say you're sorry. You do! You'll shoot your eye out, kid. What's up, film fans? Happy Sunday. Welcome to another episode of the Cinnamon Movie Podcast. It's episode 285. I am your host, Juan. I am joined here by the cast, the crew, the good fellas. Zach? What's going on, guys? Jay? How's it going? What's up, guys? You guys have a good week? That was pretty good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um... Pretty fun episode. I can't believe we're already done with February. Today we're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese, um, which, you know, we just got done with the CAG Awards last night. It means two weeks away from the Oscars. Um, so should be pretty fun. There's a, a lot of easily going movies that are just trending. You know, it seems like if they win at this award, they win at the next two. What do you think, Zach? Did yeah. you watch them last night on Netflix? I did. I did respond it by just watched the whole thing. And so, yeah, it's, I pretty much sets the tone for what the Oscars is going to be, especially who's, who's going to do like Lila Stone won last night for best actress. It's going to be between her and Emma Stone for poor things. And then Cillian Murphy, Weinheimer, which is that, that and Paul Giamatti for the holdovers, which we'll be talking about next week. So, that is what we're talking about next week on the first episode of, of March. Um, so, Jay, what about you, man? Do you, you keep up with any of the any of the award stuff? I don't. Uh, you just – as long as it entertains you, you don't really care? That, that's the type of movie guy I've always been. I used to care what the Oscars were and thought, but then as I got older, I could care less. I know it seems kind of a dickish thing, but yeah. No, it's it's honestly kind of like and we've kind of talked about this as the years have gone on here at the podcast is like, you know, the movies they pick this year is a little different because they're actually picking movies that some people have seen. But years before, it's like I've never even heard of this movie. Why is it even being nominated? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, do, I don't pay attention to the Oscars too much. I still find it cool if they won one. Um, look at back last week, we talked about the creator. Um, if you guys want to check that episode out, you can go back in the archives or listen to any of our other episodes. Um, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher. Um, and you can watch it on demand, uh, right here on Emaswa Productions YouTube channel or on our Facebook live channel. Um, Zach, if they want to find us on the social media, how do they find us on social media? Yeah, we're all over the social medias. Uh, obviously, Facebook.com forward slash the Cinema Movie Podcast. The old Instagram for the Cinema Movie Podcast. X, formerly known as Twitter, cinema at four, four slash Cinnamon 405. And of course, if you ever want to email us, give us questions, let us know what, what's going on in your world, uh, email us at C-I-N-E-M-E-N-921 at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, and emails return next week. Uh, I finally got through some of the email bag, and uh, I'll finally answer you guys back and get into some of the emails next week. 
when we talk the holdovers. So it should be fun. It works out. Um, what about any recent watches or recommendations? Jay, we can start with you. Have you been checking anything um, out that you can recommend, or are you still on the office binge? I'm still on the office, but I want to talk about what I started before the office. Uh, what made, I needed a palate cleanser because of what I was watching. I was watching Oz. I don't know if either of you remember that show. Oh, HBO show. Yeah, I watched the entire six seasons of Oz, and it was pretty brutal, man. Not in a bad way. It was just brutal. Like, damn, they got away with some shit back in the day on some TV, man. I bet. And then I watched uh, The Last of Us again. Oh, nice. I still I need to get into The Last of Us. I know the video game was phenomenal, but I only got to watch the first two seasons or the first two episodes of The Last of Us. But I need to try to sit and rewatch that again. Yeah, it was. Those are what I watched before The Office. So. <laughs> Pedro, uh, Pascal, he he won away, walked away with some awards for The Last of Us. Did he? Yep. Yeah. yeah. He won won Best Actor last night. Yep. Well, he he deserves it. And I think uh, I think he's in talks to play uh, Reed Richards for the MCU. I've seen he that. Is. Yeah. So that they put out like a like a little. Uh, they confirmed the cast for the the Fantastic Four. It's him, Vanessa Kirby, for who's going to play Sue Storm, and then. Uh, uh, Richie from the Bear is going to play. I think he's playing the thing, and I don't know who's playing uh, the the fire guy. So, the human torch. Human torch. Yeah. Guys, you think they finally can do it the right way, or do you think this is going to be another failed launch? And and honestly, I thought the first two Fantastic Four movies were okay. Yeah, I I thought they were fine too. I didn't think they were too bad. They were kid friendly. I get that, but. I know a lot of yeah, people have I mean, the 2015 one. Yeah, that could have been yeah. pretty badass if he would have got his way with shooting the way he wanted to. Yeah. I think the 2015 had a better cast than the, the actual 2005 version, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, Zach, what about you? Do you have anything you want to recommend to anybody? Uh, yeah, uh, first and foremost, uh, The Bear Season 2, finish that up. Holy hell, that was that might be one of the best seasons of television I've seen in a while. That's good. Uh, the, the Christmas episode was phenomenal. It was <laughs> the t- intensity of that you could cut with a knife, and then the finale, it, it was so, so much like The Bear, like obviously uh, other episodes of The Bear, but it was like so heartbreaking just what happens. It's pretty funny. Um, and uh, season three comes out in June, so well, I'm excited. And then I went and saw uh, Driveway Doll, the new uh, Ethan Cohen movie. It was, it was fun. It was much more in the la- same line of uh, like Burning After Reading or uh, Raising Arizona. So, see, I like Burn After Reading and Raising Arizona. You might like it then. Um, but first and foremost, The Bear. Go go check that out on Hulu. So, what about you, Juan? The, the bear was good. Uh, I enjoy. I watched that. I've literally binged that whole thing the, the first day it came out. Um, mm-hmm. You guys can go check out all my recent watches or recommendations on the Instagram, uh, Instagram slash the Cinema Movie Podcast. Uh, Zach, I'm going through another franchise. I'm going through the X-Men franchise this time. Um, Where are you at? I just finished Apocalypse, and I'm on my way to Logan, and then I'm going to finish it up with... Uh, Dark Phoenix, and I guess I got to throw New Mutants in there because it's on the timeline. I haven't Not seen really. New Not really. Mutants. 
<clears throat> but but I mean, honestly, I've only seen New Mutants once, and I kind of enjoyed it. And then I started seeing all the bad hate for it afterwards. You guys ever you ever you guys ever do that about a movie? You're like, man, I thought that was pretty cool. And then like two weeks later, you see all the fucking hate mail for it. I do. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. I don't know what people were thinking. There's yeah. some. They're they're not Madam Web bad, but. Oh. I don't think anything's kind of way bad, just for just to just to say. Just seeing um, that trailer, I knew that was a piece of shit. <laughs> I checked out a couple older Martin Scorsese films just to see where they might line up with today's top five, and I checked out Mean Streaks and Taxi Driver. Um, I watched The Hunger Games, the new one, the the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. That's a long movie. About two yeah, hours. Two hours and forty minutes. Damn. I, I did. I didn't. And I know today we're talking, you know, the girthiest of all girth. But I, I didn't think that Hunger Games needed to be two hours and forty minutes. Well, for, I haven't seen the movie myself, but from whatever the reviews and stuff were saying, they had a lot yeah. to fit in. There, there, there's definitely a lot they put in there, and it's not, it's not as action packed as you would think. Maybe the first few are. This one has more of just a a base of a storytelling arc with uh, Snow. So. Overall, I'd give it a seven. I, I thought it was pretty decent. I don't know how the rewatchability would be with with the length, but it wasn't terrible. I, I, it's going to be interesting to well, see where some of these movies fit in our list in the next few weeks. Well, they wanted to do a a two parter like they did with Mock and Jay, but that didn't work out so well. So they decided to just do one whole long movie. So, um, and then if, if you know the 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 Wolverine movies, um. I, I'm throwing them in there as well. You kind of have to. The, uh, do you guys remember the Wolverine where he goes to Japan? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of, yeah. I, I'm not in love with that one as I was the first time I watched it anymore. I don't know. I don't know if the length had something to do with that too. It was like 220, or if it was, it was just a little bit more, uh, again, more story arc than probably the rest of them. I mean, it's always. always I was miffed off by the villain when it's a silver samurai. Yeah. An old guy in a costume. That's true. I don't think, Zach, I don't think any of the X Men movies are really streaming anywhere, are they? They're on Disney Plus. Uh, You just have to have your. Yeah, you just have to have your. um, Most of them are. You just have to have your uh, parental settings. Oh, wow. So, so anything that Fox, 20th Century Fox put out is automatically on Disney Plus, then, huh? As far as superhero movies go, oh, I could be. Hmm. I just say that because they're, I don't they're know about Logan. I don't know about Logan, but I know Deadpool one and two are on there. Nice. Um, but yeah, honestly, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to give the entire franchise as a whole rating goes, but so far, man, the. One of the best ones I've just set and really just enjoyed has been First Class. Yeah, First Class that, was yeah, a really good, good movie. So, but if you guys want to recommend or shoot anything our way for us to recommend or for us to watch, uh, just hit us up on the socials, like Zach said, um, or the overall emails c i n e m e n nine two one at gmail dot com, um, or you can instant message us on any of the other platforms and. Uh, We'll uh, we'll recommend we'll we'll sit and watch them. So, but 
Zach, we haven't had a top five in a while. Jay, you're about to get introduced to your first top five list. And what better way than to uh, talk our top five favorite Martin Scorsese films? Um, he's he's one of those directors that, uh, at least for me anyways, it, it doesn't matter what he puts out. I'll try to always go check it out on the big screen. So we'll talk a little, a little uh, Martin Scorsese and do our top five next. All right. Martin Scorsese, one of the best directors that some people I mean, may have called. <laughs> but, Zach, what, what, how would you describe Martin Scorsese, some of his movies? And then we'll go to Jay. Um, I would definitely describe him as, like, definitely. I, I think he definitely has the persona of, like, the, the, the gangster mafia director. But his films are so much more than that. I think he's much, I think he has a lot to say about just uh, human nature, just through those lenses, almost. So. Like, no, he's so Zach, uh, Jay, you've kind of got to see some movies in the theaters that we probably haven't gotten to see yet, but uh, like from back in the day, is there a certain movie from Martin Scorsese that you remember seeing in the movie theater? I do not, man. I'm serious. No, I wasn't a big, it wasn't that I wasn't a big Scorsese fan, it's just that his movies when I was growing up didn't really pique my interest. It's as I've gotten older that they've started to make more sense. Does that make any sense? That that, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. There's there's movies that I've like was not entertained by when I was like probably even nineteen or twenty, and now like even even after even before this podcast, I'm like, uh, that's I don't know if I want to rewatch that or even talk about that movie. But even since doing this podcast and creating creating some of the movies almost as if they're like homework, I've even like start watching stuff in a kind of a different light, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but uh, before we get into number five, Zach, Jay, do you guys have any any uh, honorable mentions? Rapid fire through. Um, no. I'm sure the two that I didn't put on my list that I that I have seen because I put I only done the ones that I've seen. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. And. Yeah. So there's only two on my list of not scenes that made it in the top five. So I have seven movies to choose from, and I've made a top five out of that. Uh, just some honorable mentions that I wanted to put on there but couldn't find the fit would be Casino, Taxi Driver, and Wolf of Wall Street. What about you, Zane? <laughs> I'm kind of right there with you. Uh, Casino, Taxi Driver, and but my honorable mention is uh, Hugo. I forgot well, he did Hugo. Boy, we're gonna have a hell of a list, aren't we? Yep. <laughs> I I took Casino <laughs> and Taxi Driver off as well off the list. But my number five film, since you know it is considered one of an honorable mention on somebody else's list, on mine it's number five. I think that movie for bringing us uh, Margot Robbie, especially everybody knows that scene that I'm talking about. <laughs> but without that movie, there would be no Margot Robbie. So. So number five for you, Jay, is uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, plus seeing uh, Leo and Quayle is just hilarious. <laughs> Zach, what about you? What's your number five? 
Uh, my number five is uh, the first uh, Scorsese film I ever saw uh, and his first uh, collaboration with Leo, Gangs of New York. Uh, really, really like this movie. Uh, and it brought us another quote-unquote American story that I had never heard about. Yeah. So uh, Daniel DeGlis is incredible in it, as always. And I think Cameron Diaz is also... I think maybe you could have got a different actress, but I, I do think she fits well in that world. So uh, number five, Gangs of New York. Two Martin Scorsese movies I've never even seen, but I mean, I have them, but I just need to take the time to sit down is Gangs of New York and The Aviator. Never seen those two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, they're not number five for me is going to be Shutter Island. Um, he kind of takes a dab at psychological thriller slash horror movie vibes-esque, if you will, and he uh, makes it memorable, man. And then he throws a twist on it that you really hardly ever see coming, at least the first time you watched it. And this is a movie that the older I get, I just appreciate more and more. Um, Everybody talks about Leo and Mark Ruffalo being in the movie, but Ben Kingsley, just I think he's just so creepy and so perfect at what he does. Um, I could watch that movie probably on repeat. I don't know about you guys, but um, I always have so much fun with Shutter Island, so that's number five for me. Well, there's there's always so many Easter eggs that he put in there that if you're paying attention, like there's a scene where the, the lady's taking a drink, but she doesn't. T- there's no cup there, mm-hmm. and it's so stuff like that, you know, to play in the, to his fear of water. He doesn't see the cup. I don't know. It was it was pretty cool looking stuff visually. It is. Have we talked? We we talked about that movie back in the day. It was that like. I think so. Yeah, we did. You're, yeah, you're you're it's like been a while two or ago. three. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a movie you could have a whole different conversation about many years later. Yeah. Um, Jay, what about you? What's number four? I put uh, Gangs in New York. I like the way it, mm. what it was. You know, the just the way everything looked. It was a long one. I'll say that. It was a long winded one, but I enjoyed it. Zach, what's number four for you? Uh, number four, uh, Shutter Island. Uh, really saw that in the theater and was just blown away by it. And I agree with you, Johnny. You already go back and rewatch it. You already know the twist, but it's so much fun to see how you get to the twist. And like you said, Jay, there's so much more things that you notice on each rewatch that uh, it makes it it makes it like a really fun time to rewatch it. So that's my number four. Uh, number four for me is what we're going to talk about today, so I won't spend too much time on it. Number four is Killers of the Flyer Moon. Uh, Jay, what's number three for you? I have uh, The Departed. Oof. Mm. Movie's so good. Whenever Leo gets shot at the end, I'm like, holy shit, they really went there. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I've seen that movie numerous times, and it always gets me. Um, and that was a that was an early, early episode for us. Yeah. What about you, Zach? What's number three? Or uh, number number three is the... Uh, no, no, number four. Number four for me is Shutter Island. Number three for oh. me is uh, The Irishman. Netflix is The Irishman. Uh, like the like Killers of the Flying Moon, girthy, girthy. Uh, but it has a re- really great story. Three great performances, um, and just man, by the end of it, it it's kind of sad. Just the way how everything turned out. So it's yeah, it's. I don't know if you would consider it an epic, but it's definitely his. Uh, I think it's one of Scorsese's. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say I think it's one of his most underrated films. Honestly, I know it was nominated for Best Picture and everything, but just you know, I know people love Good Goodfellas and Casino and 
taxi driver and all that, but this one just, I don't know, just, I really, really enjoy the Irishman. So it's a great criterion too, to have. It is. Number three for me, uh, Goodfellas. We had an episode about it a few years ago. I think maybe even last year. Um, when really fun, fun, yeah, fun, fun movie. Uh, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, the way they go back and forth. I could watch it all day, so uh, I won't spend too much time on it. So number uh, three is Goodfellas. Jay, what about you? What's number two? The Aviator. Something you haven't seen. I need to see mm-hmm. it. It's for some reason uh, a lot of the, his movies are long, but this one didn't fill the length. This one was actually to me interesting from beginning to the end, and get to see how Howard Hughes went nuts was quite a thing. Mm-hmm. Seeing Leo just crack that was pretty good. That might be hard for you this weekend, uh, yeah. this week, Johnny, is to watch The Aviator. Yeah, um, it's just I probably really I probably will really honestly. Really uh, Zach, what about you? What's number two? Uh, number two is the film we're talking about, Killers of the Fire Moon. So, number two for me is Raging Bull. Um, this is one of I think this might be his shortest movie at just two hours, but it follows the life of uh, Jack LaMotta. And I don't know, it's just one of those movies I quote all the time. Uh, Robert De Niro is fantastic in it, Joe Pesci is the best friend, Joey. Um, and then as soon as as soon as a uh, criterion came out, I had to go check it out. Um, I I would almost mm-hmm. put this up against Rocky as far as my favorite boxing movie. So no, number two is Raging Bull. Uh, Jay, what's your number one? Um, I'd probably shock you guys, but Hugo. Oh, nice. I thought that movie was beautiful. I thought it told a good story. I, I told a story about love for film. And the early days of film that, you know, a lot of these old movies that we don't, that, that, that were made in this early years of our cinematic production aren't around no more. Mm-hmm. So it was cool seeing him kind of give a nod to all those movies and stuff like that, you know. I think that movie even recently came out with a 4K edition recently. Did it really? Yeah, I think... Yeah. I think through Arrow, I think Arrow put like a like a put out like a nice edition of it. I actually got it in the other room, but it's it's, it's pretty nice. It has like a, I think it's like a three disc set or something like that. So nice. Um, Zach, what's number one for you? Uh, number one is uh, The Departed. We did a whole episode of it way back in the day. Uh, well, Gangs of New York may be my first Scorsese film I watched. My first Scorsese film in the theater, and uh, man, what experience that was. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Vera Farmiga, just an incredible cast and just just a roller coaster of a film. If you've never seen The Departed, go check it out. I'm sure it's on Max or something. So it's it's really worth your time. So, uh, yeah, that's the same with me. Number one is The Departed. I have so much fun watching that movie. Um, I had so much fun just even you know picking that movie apart um it's fun the departed highly recommend it i think it's on hbo max if anybody wants to check it out so but let's dig into what we're getting to today uh that's it for the top five if you guys want to mention us your top five martin scorsese films send us an email comment um direct message let us know your top five list 
Um, and then get ready for the top five plus five, essentially your top 10 best of 2023. Send those in. We've already gotten some um, picks and some some lists in from your listeners. So send that in, and we will uh, read those off in two weeks when we talk to our favorites of 2023. So <clears throat> should be fun. Those are always pretty fun uh, lists. Oh, yeah. So... But uh, we'll get into Killers of the Flower Moon. When oil is discovered in the 1920s, Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the, the mystery. Uh, IMDb currently has it at 7.7. Rotten Tomatoes at 93%. The Metascore is at 89%. Um, with a $200 million budget, it only grossed $156 million at the box office, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Clemens. Um, you also have Brendan Fraser's in there, Cora Jade Myers, John Lithgow, Lene Collins, Jillian Dion, and directed by Martin Scorsese. Um, Zach, do you remember the first time that you got to check this out? You checked out in the theater, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw opening weekend. Yep. And man, this is this is something that I think this was like one of my highly anticipated films of last year, halfway through the year, and it just man, I was I was really worried, just like like you said, the girthiness, but it had a killer cast and. An incredible story that I knew nothing about. Um, man, I walked out of there. I think I texted you said, "Hey, dude, you got to go see this in the theater, right? Like when when you get a chance." Um, I was I was just so blown away by it. And on the rewatch, I still I still thought the same thing. It was just it was just, it was just, it's just an experience. And I when we get into it, we'll, we'll dissect. I think it's a story that truly um, gets gets you in. Gets you, but so. Jay, what about you? Was that a, I know this was your first time watching it this past week. How was uh how was the watch unit? Just a few short words before we get into it. Well, I had to watch it in sections if thank I felt the length. Oh, thank you. Oh, I, I felt kind of yeah. I don't know, like I was confused during some of it. I don't know why. Oh my god. Oh. It's like wow. I guess uh, the setting of the movie that it gave me some subtitles. Let me know nineteen twenties, you know, something like that. I kind of got about the dress and everything. But I was kind of lost. This movie lost me a few times. Uh, I thought it was a pretty fun movie in, in the theater. I could definitely feel the length. Um, you know, I only got up once to use the restroom. But uh, I didn't miss much. Um, I was dreading the rewatch, honestly, with how long it was. But I feel like I caught more the second and third time around than I did the first time. So I... Uh, I enjoyed it. We'll get into it. It made my top five, so we'll kind of break it down a little bit and uh, see some of our likes and dislikes. So, um, I when I do notes for like these long movies, I always break them down in hour one, hour two, and hour mm -hmm. three, like I did with The Godfather. Um, man, to me, our the first hour of this movie is just like jam packed with so much information and knowledge, um, mm -hmm. and you know, we, we both, everybody said it in, in the top five that Martin Scorsese is real good about taking those old stories that nobody had really known about and putting them on film. 
Um, what did you guys think of just like the first hour getting getting introduced and meeting the uncle Robert De Niro who plays William, and then really kind of learning more about Ernest who is Leonardo DiCaprio? What did you guys think about the first meeting between those two after Leo comes back from the war? I think it pretty much sets up that whole relationship through the whole film. I think I think De Niro, uh, Robert De Niro's character. Um, William Hale, he's very much the puppeteer through this whole thing because you can like, even though, even though he's kind of he kind of has like this grandfatherly figure or this grandfatherly um, feel around him, and he, he wants the best for us. Like he always asks, like, "Hey, are you into, are you into women? You know, you should think about getting married." Um, he he's very much a snake in the ground where like you know when when you've done something wrong he's gonna bite you and that scene definitely comes later in the film with, with leo and leo is kind of like this very personable he's like clay like he, he can hell can make Ernest any, into any anything he wants and that's essentially sets up the whole relationship throughout the film Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty fun. Then you have the the death start just occurring, like you start seeing the little monologue of deaths. Um, yeah. What do you guys think about that? So that's where I got kind of confused. I was like, "All right, what kind of movie am I watching?" But I didn't know what I was watching because I seen you know Leo and uh, Robert De Niro being introduced and they're doing their thing, and this scene right after they've introduced and talked and everything, it shows this Indian choking to death on the floor, and I'm like, "Okay." It took a turn for me. I I don't. I was confused a little bit by this movie. Like I told I you the other day on Johnny. Yeah. Is that who my cinematic lens has gone has gone away? If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Explain that though, like so some of the listeners or even Zach can like understand, like because what, what do you what do you kind of mean by that? Well, growing up. Can you hear me? Yeah. Growing up, I would watch any and all type of movies, and I like had a, a I could see I had an eye for the camera work, I had an eye for this and an eye for that, but since I've gotten kind of, we'll just say sad, that I don't watch movies as much as I used to anymore, and I just that lens seems to be missing. So that's what I mean by that. Hopefully, hopefully we can take you to the eye doctor with this podcast. Hopefully so. <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of felt the same way when I first watched it. Even the beginning, when it talks about the Osage opening, talks about how they're the richest, wealthiest per capita people in in, in the world, and then it goes through. You, you know, just just I think just it being Robert De Niro, you kind of already give him the benefit of the doubt, so you don't want him to be the bad guy. But right there in that first meeting, he's molding, like Zach said, and just kind of early manipulation with Leo. And then you're like, it, it doesn't ring a bell just yet. And then the way the murder's kicked off, you're kind of just like, okay, I can kind of see there's somebody behind these murders. Like, you know, killing the one with the with the baby and then taking the baby out of the out of the uh, carriage. Carriage, yeah. Yeah. So. I, I can but see I think, how it would kind of 
kind of give a little bit of a confusion at the beginning with the murders. But I think I, that's what I like about the movie. It just already it puts you in the horror of the situation of what actually went on, um, where all these all these Osages die, and they, they say the name, and then it says no investigation, and then the woman with the baby ruled the no investigation. And you're just like, oh, damn, like how 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 far did this go? And it just it, it became all it, it essentially became an epidemic to the point you know jumping way way ahead um they went to the they went to dc to say hey you need to get someone down here to try to stop these murders because it's just every day it was just who, who was going to be on the front front page of the newspaper who was going to be killed off yeah i had to go back and watch a couple of documentaries based on this just to get a further so I watched a couple half-hour documentaries on the subject that put it in pers better perspective, I think, than the movie did for me. You know, it's cool to see them do their their work. You know, they're like Leo and him. You know, just do their plan and everything. But by the end of the plan and everything, the, they, everybody seems to get really sloppy. Yeah. Like, everybody's just like, whatever, man. We'll just do it this way. It's like bro, come on. Like that scene where they were supposed to make it look like an act, like he shot himself, but he yep, shot it through yeah. the back of the head. And it's like, are you guys even thinking anymore? I think, I, I think that's like a good way of, of looking at it too. And pointing out that you said that they started to get sloppy is because maybe they started getting too greedy, too fast. And at that point they were probably like, Oh, we're untouchable. We can't get caught. So let's kind of just do it their way. Even though, um, Robert De Niro's character William, you know, they call him the king throughout the movie. Like, if they mm -hmm. would have listened to him, I almost kind of feel like, in a bad way, they would have gotten away with it. I think, oh, some yeah, the, yeah, some of the undercarriage, you know, some of the underminding men like Leo and his brother and some of the other ones, I think they were just getting, like Jay said, sloppy, but they were just wanting the money right then and there. They wanted to get rid of things just super, super quick. And I think that, like, you know, I agree with you, Jay. That ended up being their downfall. Um, if Leo well, wanted to confess. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Jay. I was going to say, if Leo wouldn't have confessed, I think that would have been, you're right, uh, they would have got away with it. But Leo had to confess. His character had to confess to what, everything that they've done because he was, I don't know, scared. But, but I think it was like the more like it finally hit a brick wall with, with Ernest is that like, you know, he'd done all these illegal activities. He killed so and so. He essentially wiped out him and him and uh, William Hill had essentially wiped out Molly's family. The 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 consequence of that is that he has he lost a child. And so I think it was like in that moment where he was just like, you know what? I I you know. This was fun while it lasted, but I, I got to get out because, like, I, I lost something that was near and dear to me. And I think I truly believe that Ernest did love Molly, but you're breaking like out. You said, was, how about now? Can you hear me better now? Yeah, it, it's going back and forth, though. Okay. Um, I think he truly did love Molly, but it's just his greed got in the way, essentially. And speaking of Molly, 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, no, you can tell he, he loved Molly, but he understood his mission first, though. When, yeah. While giving her the medication, supposed to be giving her insulin, and he's also in, injecting her with stuff to keep her sedated, uh, sedated and everything, so that she, that way he can continue further patrolling everything. Yeah. But. And getting introduced to uh, Molly, played by Lily Gladstone, um, you you meet most of her family right off the bat with uh, Molly, the mother Lizzie. You also meet Minnie, Rita, and Anna, and um, mm-hmm. like you said, Zach, they just they start dying off right off the bat. You know, with them getting sick, and then um, Minnie's the one who is murdered, right? Well, essentially they're Anna's all murdered, the, but Anna's the one. Well, yeah, Anna's the one that was shot in the back of the head. Yeah, and, and then Minnie's Rita the died first, right? Yeah. Minnie is the one that died from wasting disease. Anna gets shot in the back of the head, and then Rita and her husband Bill, her their whole house explodes. But I think Which Anna, that, her death is the start of a lot of, you know, suffering in Lily's life. In yeah, Molly, she in Molly's life, she she started once she seen her sister dead, bloated, being that way after finding her for several days. You know, that really, that's when I think the moment set in for her that somebody is out there doing this to my family. Well, and then and then not only to take, to go a step further from that is that she had to sit there and watch as they are like chopping her head off or like literally cutting the back of her skull off to find the bullet. bullet. I was like, damn, that, that, yeah. Like, couldn't you done that? Like, take her away or take the body away and do, do it like an autopsy in the back room or something? Uh, times were different then man and i will say the oh go ahead Johnny. no 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 go ahead i say uh the the, the movie that's based off is the book killers of the flower moon the osage murders and the birth of the fbi this is a phenomenal it goes way more to detail about different murders who and the book uh is more of a whodunit Right off the, you don't know who is pulling things until the very end of the book. Um, and I was very curious to see how he was going to take that on. But in different interviews, you're playing the, the camel interview just a minute ago. Um, he was a whodunit. He the movie as a who didn't because everybody in town is. You're breaking up again, Zach. Okay, let me let me get off real quick and I'll get back on. Hold on. Okay. Um. <clears throat> While he while he does that, we're having a little little technical difficulty. Jay, what about uh, what do you think about the beginning? Whenever they're uh, you, you see them kind of like going through and buying like automobiles, and they're getting sold a bunch of stuff, or like when Molly goes and asks for money, and he like is kind of examining how much to give her, even though it's her money. The well, bank it's because the the I, that's what that's what I figured out from the documentary I watched that. They they had uh, Indians that were, they they pretty much the gov- U.S. government pretty much considered all Indians incapable of maintaining their own finances and everything, and so you had to sit there and uh, go about showing the U.S. government that you were a competent Indian or competent Native American, and that if you were you got full control over your money if not you had to have a guardianship and most likely it would have been a white person or 
a lawyer or a judge, somebody like you've seen with uh, Molly, she had to go to that guy and essentially, you know, get money off, you know, and he's questioning her about, you know, well, your, your mom spent $300 on me, you know, you know, that was irrational, but that's what they did that the U S government had it set up to where the Indian native Americans had to go through them in order to be considered competent or not. And then, I yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up and you saw that you had to see a documentary for that. I was kind of, again, like confused the same way. Like, man, he's telling her how much of her own money she can get. And then after how much he told her that her mom spent with meat, I'm like, that seems a little, a little much, especially from back in the day. But then, come to find out like later on in the movie you see that there's prices and then there's osage prices yeah so like i'm kind of like maybe for maybe it was only like 150 dollars worth of meat but since she's osage she had to pay like 300 and something dollars worth of meat. yeah that that whole uh when they're burying anna and you know leo's asking about why you know why is the price all jacked up it was definitely you know at the time, obviously, you know, they said that they're the wealthiest people per capita. It's like, oh, they can afford this. And so we'll just jack up the price um, while other people would pay like 100, 150 to bury the body. You know, they're paying like 10 times that. One thing I wish the movie would have showed a little bit more of was everybody's after all the wealth. But how much is that wealth really worth in that time frame? And one of the documentaries I went and watched, they said that, let's say, for example, a group of five Native Americans got $50,000 in oil rights. That would be the equivalent of $750,000 today. So that made them very, 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 very wealthy. Mm. Right. I could have used a little, you know, just one scene. I've been like, you know what the conversion rate in 2024 is? <laughs> But no, that that's one thing I thought was missing. I get they were they were rich, but how rich? They're so absurdly you, rich. So so you wanted like a dollar amount on it? I did. That makes sense. Cause yeah, I, now now that you think about it, yeah, they they never really said like a dollar amount. Just the power, the and not really even greed. Even at the beginning when they were like, you know, if this this car breaks down, you get your you, you know you pop a tire, come right back, get your brand new car. Like they're trying to sell them a new car just for popping a tire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. It, at any point, did anybody feel sorry for Ernest in the movie? I have that written down in my notes because I feel watching the way Leo portrayed the character, there were certain scenes where I kind of felt just a little sorry for him because I felt like he was getting manipulated right off the bat. But then, oh, he was. but then, you know, not even, you know, the next scene or two, he's already robbing people and, and getting them for, you know, pocket change and jewelry. So I'm kind of like, is he a thug anyway, you know, or just is, is he already started to be manipulated? So I, at some points I felt bad for him. I, I didn't. I thought that, like, I, like I said, with the whole Bali situation where he was given the task of giving her insulin instead of giving her just the insulin, he gave her the extra special shots. And, you know, mm -hmm. when she came came up to him and asked him, what what the hell did you give me all the, that time? That's just a powerful insulin. scene. Yeah. yeah just, I just gave you insulin. That right there tells you the worth of the man because he sits there and straight tells her to her face, stone cold that I gave you insulin and that's it. 
I never gave you anything else. And that's when she knew that she couldn't trust, in my mind, she couldn't trust this man anymore. That Leah, I had no, I, I didn't think of, he was a dirtbag, you know, from the word go. He just needed a, a little bit of push. And the, the, uh, the manipulation tactics that uh, King used on him, you know, are you this, are you that, you know, do you want this, do you want that, you know, the luring. And that's what he would do to him, but glory. So, yeah, he was always doomed. You see, I, I sorry for him at the end, that final scene to the, the, the epilogue of he, he confessed to everything. He was trying to do good by everybody. And, you know, I think I agree with you, Jay. Molly knew, I, I think Molly always knew the kind of man he was, especially in that dinner scene at the beginning, earlier in the movie. But like, like I said, I think they really did love each other. But the, the scene that really made me feel sorry for him is, you know, he confessed everything. And then Molly says, what did you give me? And he can't do it. He cannot. I think I think partially he didn't really know what he was giving her. But at the same time, it's just like he can't own up to the fact that he was definitely either a poisoner or, or giving her something that he knew he wasn't. And I think the scene where he this was like way into the movie and like Molly is nearly on her deathbed, like every other scene. But when he like dabs the stuff in his whiskey, and then just I, took that scene, I took that scene as maybe he knew and he wanted to like feel what she was feeling or maybe he just didn't want to, he didn't want to do it anymore. So he was just going to take his own life or something like that. Well, I just seen it as whenever he did that, it was just, well, hell, I'll have me some too. <laughs> yeah. that's, seriously, that's why I kind of seen that scene. Is that you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking up everywhere. I, there, things are happening around me. Things are coming down around me. And it was basically that scene of fuck it. I'm just gonna get fucked up. Yeah. Because he knew what he'd been giving her, and he knew that it was sedating like that. That's that's where. I think Leo, Leo, not Leo, Scorsese has such an eye for direction and like different shots, sequences, like the scene where there's always, there's always a, the, obviously, but there's like a hovering fear of death throughout this whole film. And like one of the ways they represent that is the owl. And so there's a scene where Molly thinks that she's hallucinating an owl and the owl comes in the room. And then a second later, Ernest walks in. I was like, oh, that's, that's like perfect. That's like perfect symbolism for that. The death is walking into the room. Yeah. With it being a three hour and 47, almost 40 minute movie, did anybody have any like twiddling of the thumbs? I really didn't, to be honest. And that, that was on both viewings. I didn't either. It was just that, like I said, being confused in a long movie can make it seem even longer. Yeah. Because it was there, there they introduce way too many people, in my opinion. To you know, there's too many p moving parts of the conspiracy. Well, we just lost that, <laughs> <laughs> but it just seemed like there was too many moving parts, somewhat like too many. Like I said, they got sloppy. They would sit there and be like, let's call Lacey. Well, what about him? What about this guy, Jim, down the street? Didn't he do a job for you one time? You're like, oh, shit, you guys are stupid. Let's just tell the whole neighborhood what we're doing. Why don't you? <laughs> that is true, though. Like they, they did introduce a lot of people right off the bat. 
the way I got past it the second time was in the back of my mind. I was like, I'm just to me that I, I just pretended they didn't matter. And I just ended up putting the faces with the people who ended up getting murdered. If that oh, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So like his brother didn't matter to me and I didn't keep track of his brother. I, I did only... keep track of his brother because his brother was a swarmy son of a bitch. That's true. But only until I was like, okay, Anna's dead. So that's where her brother will fit into this. Yeah. And then like 20 minutes later, you know, you're on to the next. It's almost like a big giant board game of who killed who. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the first hour, by the time we get to the first hour, we're really, I think an investigation is starting to happen. Like Anna's hired this like private investigator who gets like beaten up in the hotel they send someone to Washington who gets stabbed in an alleyway. So you can tell that Hell definitely has his hands in all the all the cookie jars, and he basically is controlling everything that happens. No news is going to get out that this is happening. We're just going to, you know, sweep this under the rug. The insulin stuff's going on, and really, it's not even until two hours. We're, we're two hours in the movie before uh, Jesse Plemons shows up as Tom White, who's the FBI investigator, and his crew comes in and tries to. Like you said, Johnny, figure out, move, move the pieces around and see what's going on. And yeah, you don't get an investigation slash hearing until the final 45 minutes, really. Um, there's just so much to kind of talk about in just a, you know, a podcast episode. Um, I will say, though, John, um, when... Scorsese brought this brought this idea to Leo. They, Leo was going to play the Tom White character, and it was going to be like an insider looking in, and like he was going to be like the the quote unquote White investigator coming to save the day. But it was really really Leo's idea to play Ernest and like see we're inside the murders and see how everything works. And I think that works a lot better than how it was. Okay. It's in, it's interesting that you bring that up because like. You know, Jesse Plemons himself, I could see him playing both Ernest or the FBI investigator. Yeah, I agree. Um, man, I kind of want to go. Brother, the, uh, Leo's brother in the movie, I recognized him uh, right off the bat as the crazy psychotic David from the uh, It's a Future episode that you haven't seen yet of The Last of Us. He plays <laughs> a preacher type guy oh. and he he quite stills the show that episode yeah that that's a that's a really good episode of that show yeah i agree so i knew he there was something when it's like typecasting but you see the cast you're like uh-huh there's something wrong with that one mm -hmm. what'd you guys think about the um the bill and rita <clears throat> like they you know bills like has like debris all over his face and like they try to pick up Rita and her brain literally her head falls out when they pick her up and then they say and this is this is all true is like when they are trying to clean up the scene they found pieces of, of the maid all over the place like I think hell steps on like a decapitated hand or something like that hmm. that was an intense scene for sure yeah and I think I want to get your guys opinion about this I think that the strongest and obviously it's well-deserved. Um, the best and the strongest performance in the entire film is Lily Gladstone. I think she 
she plays it to the nail. It's her, I think it's her eye. Like part of it is her eyes. Like during the scene, she's so stoic and she can just read the fucking room all over. And like I said, she knows what kind of man Ernest is, but she's willing to play along with it. She and, has a certain sass about her too. Yeah. And then when she start when her, her emotional stains, when like, when she figures out that her sister's dead, that scream of whale is just, it's horrific. I think she is, is is perfect. She's phenomenal in this movie. Um, for, I think she should be winning the award for best uh, actors. Yeah, picture because I did see she was nominated and yeah, she played she, she played it well. I think she's everything she's been nominated for at, out of every single you know award ceremony she's walked away with it right is that? It's it's like I said it's really between her and Emma Stone she won. She won the SAG last night. She did win the Golden Globe. The Oscars are in two weeks. So I think I think she has a strong chance of winning, to be honest, because that's that's just a different type of performance that you it's just it's really rare to see uh to see in a movie like that now. But what I'm saying is Emma Stone hasn't won anything compared to Lily Gladstone. No, Emma Emma Stone won the she won a Golden Globe for I think comedic actress, but she's also it's it's really neck and neck, honestly, the way the way things are going. So, but I mean, if I think all three of us would agree that I think I haven't seen poor things. I haven't seen poor things. So I don't, I can't tell you Emma Stone's performance, but I I put money on Lily, Lily Gladstone to win. Cause that's, like I said, that's just one of those performances that you, when you, and the politics of the Oscars eat that shit up. Yeah. They're trying to look inclusive. So the best way to be inclusive is. Well, I, I'm not going to say that she'll win because of she's a, a Native American woman, but I, I think she'll win because of her performance. I think, you know, I hope so. That's why yeah. for that's why she went. She wins because of the performance, not because of the politics of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because one thing I'll say is I left that movie and she's the first like character slash performance I thought of. It, yeah. it usually, you know, you watch a Leo movie, you go back, oh man, Leo was awesome. Or you go back and be like, oh, De Niro was sensational, but she's the first person I thought of when the movie was over. So, well, Leo's very, very stoked through most of the movie. He's just following orders. Yeah. That's, that's basically Leo. He's, he's a follower. And yeah. most people are used to seeing Leo the leader, not Leo the follower. And this is what he was this time. He was just following and doing the commands that he was given. I'll I'll take it a step further. I th I think Leo's the best performance. No, Lily's the best performance, but I think De Niro's the second best because it's just like you really don't. Like I said, he's very much a grandfatherly figure to Ernest, but at the same time, it's like man, like I. I, I gotta give him mad props for him being able to speak Osage through most of his lines, uh, though. Yeah. So, like yeah. I said, Leo's very good in this, but I just don't think, in the grand scheme of things, this is like one of his best performances. I think De Niro and Lily like are a couple a couple steps ahead of him in this. You know, it's funny. Out of all the movies that Robert De Niro's done, the character that I kept thinking about during this performance was the dad from Meet the Parents. <laughs> you think you'd have built me? <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. That's an interesting comparison. <laughs> it's just because of how direct and how like upfront he was with. Uh, with Leo just being that that guy when he pulled up with the glasses on driving the car, 
Yeah. I was, I was like, that's the dad from Meet the Parents. Yeah. <laughs> I also think that something else that makes the relationship work is the chemistry between Leo and Lily. I think they do have really great chemistry during their scenes. Um, the uh, the handsome devil line where like the, he's driving her, that was improv. And that just, she actually, they got a legit laugh out of Lily. And so they kept it into the movie. Um, so, you know, I think anytime... There's a lot of improv in this. Anytime a director is able to capture something that's legit, it's always, you know, you always want to put that in your in your movie. The scene where they were in the bed and Leo says, You want to wake the kids, that was all improvised too. Yeah. And I was I was like, that's that's pretty funny. Um uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up chemistry because those two seem like they've done it before, like as far as being in a movie together. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, um this thing is getting nominated for ten awards in two weeks. And I think any other year it would probably sweep and go ten for ten, but I think there's a little Oppenheimer movie out there that might that might say otherwise. Yeah, that, I I actually watched Oppenheimer over the weekend and or, or through the week and yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is like I think when we did when we first saw this movie, Johnny, I think both of us agreed that we liked it a little bit better than Oppenheimer. And I've <laughs> watched Oppenheimer since our episode and. It gets better with each viewing. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. So it's this is only my second watch of Killers, but I, I me personally, we'll talk about it here probably next week. Uh, but I think Oppenheimer has it in the bag, to be honest. Yeah, I, do I think I, I look at his clean sweep besides a couple you know, acting awards. Yeah, I think Lily. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think he'll get it. I think Nolan will finally get his best director. I think Oppenheimer will get Best Picture, but I think Lily gets Best Actress. Yeah. And then Robert De Niro, all praise him, man. That's what a job he's done from being where he was 25 years ago to, to doing what he's about to do in two weeks. So, yeah. Not, not only does he deserve it for being in that movie because of that performance in Oppenheimer, but I mean, what a story, you know, what a feel good story. Yeah. I think, well, well, I'll just list them off. Um, it's nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. I agree. I the best Costume. Yeah. I think Best Actress, Best Costume Design, and I'll say Best Production Design, because, like, it, to make... Yeah, it felt like the 1920s U.S. Yeah. during, yeah, it felt straight up. Yeah. But, you know, like we said, I think Oppenheimer is going to have a lot of say on what wins what on sun- that Sunday. So, yeah, I, Oppenheimer I agree. will get the big awards, but those achievements like the costuming and everything, those will go to uh, flowers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess to round this off, what do you guys, I, I, I've heard a lot of mixed arguments about it, but. I thought the ending with like the the true crime radio show. I thought that was brilliant. They could have easily just put on like the the typical. They put the real picture up and just title cards of what happened. But I thought this was so creative, so well done. And I thought it was, you know, some people probably thought it was artsy. But I thought Scorsese having the final word about the murders. I thought that was brilliant. It it's it's it was brilliant because of a. That's probably how they. Uh... They read off true crimes back in the day, mm-hmm. and then and then like B him giving his final word 
shows the audience how important this story is to him as a director. Yeah. So, um, so after the investigations, Zach, you brought up the ending. Jay, what did you think about the ending? Did you like the radio send-off? Yeah, I thought the radio send-off was pretty good. Just, like you said, it, it does seem like I was watching the 1920s show from a radio program from back in the days. So just, it was a lot better than having just the captions up on the screen saying such and such did this time, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But no, it added more to the story. Yeah. And I think the horrific thing about it was, is, you know, Ernest, Hale, they pretty much got off of everything. I mean, Hale pretty much died in a nursing home and uh, Ernest and his brother lived out the rest of their lives in Oklahoma. And I think he outlived Molly about 50 years because she died from by diabetes. And so that's like, that's, that's so damning. But at the same time, it's like, like you say, the good die young and the, the bad always live. Yeah, I would like to, Jay, I'd like to get some of those documentaries. You send me the link or something. We'll, we'll, cause I'd like to see some of those. Um, that is, that's, that, that is kind of, you know, they kind of just got a slap on the wrist. And even though she got away, divorced, remarried, she still died young because of, you know, because of the, the sickness. But it's, uh, it's uncertain, but it's almost kind of a, a, uh, how would you put it? a sweet and sweet and sour story because you know if it wasn't for what martin square says he at least did and yeah. put that up on the screen we i probably would have never known about it i don't think any of us made that may have never known about it yeah um it's so. definitely it's definitely a story that they don't teach like in you know high school american history class it's definitely one that it deserves i wish we you know, a little inside baseball. We were going to interview one of the uh, Osage actors from the movie, but it just fell through. Um, I would, you know, it's definitely a story that deserves to be told, uh, especially given the world we live in and today. In today, so especially growing up in middle school and and high school in Oklahoma, yeah, and having Oklahoma history wasn't taught at all. Yeah. That would be considered oh. Osage history instead of Oklahoma history. Yeah. I, I doubt they even <laughs> taught it up there, maybe. Well, because I was like, wait a minute, I've been to the Osage Casino. Does that does that count? Yeah. Um something else I do want to mention, uh, and well, we can go on to favorite scenes is I I totally it didn't occur to me while watching this, but this happened the same time as the Tulsa race riots, Black yeah. Friday, Black Tuesday or Black Tuesday. And so I was like wow that's it's horrific that two ethnicities really dealt with the horrors of the horrors of the world during that time and it was just because there's a scene where leo's watching like the old news footage of uh the tulsa race the tulsa race massacre and i'm just like oh wow that i forgot that didn't even dawn on me that that happened at around the same time mm. so uh, Jay, we'll start with you, man. Do you have like a favorite scene or two? I like this. Uh, I like the beginning scene when they first met up. You, you got a, a strong sense of who everybody was. You know, you got the manipulator. You got the the, the manipulatees, the brother, the two brothers that'll basically do anything that King says to do, mm -hmm. just because he says it's all right. I wouldn't. I'd never trust anybody with that much 
trust over me. But and then I like like I said, I like the scene where she asked, What have you been giving me? And he just straight up lies to her and just says, I've been giving you insulin. Yeah. Because like I said, it lets you know what type of man he truly is. He's like, he's still willing to let the ruse go along, even though she knows. He knows she knows, but he's just like, nah, man. Um I just gave you insulin. Yeah. Um <clears throat> If I had to pick a few scenes, I would probably pick the scene where they first start going off into the car together. Uh, and he seems like he's interested in the race, but he's really not. Um, the scene where they have their first dinner and uh, she offers whiskey. Um, <laughs> and then honestly, where uh, some of the, uh, the, the, like the dark stuff happens, like, uh, uh, taking uh, Anna where he's like, Anna's got to go home now. And that whole just sense of Anna's going home is just like, oh, God, you know what's coming next. Um, and then, honestly, the the middle to ending where you get introduced to the FBI agent and everybody starts just becoming um, uneasy and sloppy. And uh, Jesse Plemons, I think, is uh, he plays that role where, well. So, And then it was pretty cool seeing, seeing Brendan Fraser there at the end, too. Yeah. So, um, I'd say the true crime radio ending, I think th that really stuck with me after walking out of the theater. Um, the first time they have their dinner, like you said, Johnny, the whiskey and honestly, the, the slow build up to not only Molly's family, entire family being murdered, like killed off essentially, but essentially the house explosion into the, it's like, damn, they are, <laughs> They are willing to blow people off the face of the earth, just not only to get what they want, but just to cover everything up. And that just the, the horrific nature of that is just insane insanity. I thought that scene was actually pretty cool. The the bombing scene where they're just like it's quiet. She's laying down in bed after checking on things, and then boom, the windows get blown out, and everybody's windows are going out. I'm like, holy shit, they actually done it. Yeah. They actually bombed them. Uh, star rating, guys, one out of ten. If you guys haven't seen us before, uh, or watched us or listened to us, one being an absolute Madam Web, and ten being the darkest of the dark nights. So, uh, Zach, let's start with you. What's your uh, star rating for Killers of the Flyer Moon? Scorsese's direction, three strong performances, especially with Lily Gladstone, cinematography, editing, score, and overall. Just of just getting to see the story play out on as on the big screen was a very delight. Probably not the right word, but it was an experience. Um, ten out of ten. Honestly, I think this is one of Scorsese's best films. So uh, I'll go one step below. Um, I'm going to give this a nine for all the right reasons you just said. Um, even though the I, even though I didn't have no pacing issues. Uh, the, the length was still just, man, it, when you have to go to the movies and watch it, it turns a three and a half hour movie into a four and a half hour event at home. It's a little bit better, but still it's, it's still a, a lengthy fucking movie. So three and a, three hours and 40 minutes. Button. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a nine, uh, which if you want to check it out in the theaters right now, it is playing here locally at Harkins theater in Bricktown. And at some other theaters because it's one of the films nominated for Best Picture. So if you wanted to check it out on the big screen, 
uh, go check it out, or you can catch it on Apple TV Plus. So, but I'm going to give this a nine. Jay, what about you? I'm going to give it an eight. I'm, I'm going to give it. I just got confused with a little bit of it. I just, I didn't get on. I wasn't in all the, all the hype of it when it first came out and everything. Seeing it in theaters, and I seen it on a small screen, so that could, if I would have seen the cinematography on a bigger screen, then I'd have probably been more of awe. But yeah. As the story goes, it's it was a great story. Shitty thing to happen, have people happen to people. Yeah. And it's pretty sad that it took a Leo movie to get the truth out. That's true. But I mean Leo does does his does his things. He did the same thing with Titanic, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um next week we go on to Zach, is it based on a true story? It's not, right? No, no, it's not. It feels like it could be. Yeah. Um, next week we talk uh, the holdovers, uh, episode two eighty six. We'll go ahead and run down the March schedule, so it should be pretty fun. Um, so next week we'll do the holdovers. Sunday, March the third. And then Sunday, March the 10th, we'll have our best top five plus five year in review of 2023. Sunday, March 17th, we'll talk Clerks. Uh, Sunday, March 24th, we'll talk Patch Adams. And then Sunday, March 31st, we'll talk Friday. So should be a, a pretty interesting month. A bunch of fun movies, some fun conversation for the month of March. Um, Zach, before we uh, get out of here, Jay, before we get out of here, is there anything you guys want to add to uh, next week's episode? Nope. I need, I'm going to rewatch it this week. I'm I'm excited about it. I, I hope it's not going to be a disappointment because I had high praise for it when I saw it in the theater. So. Very high praise. You talked very highly of this movie, so should be interesting. Um, other than I've that, I've seen the commercials for it on Peacock while watching The Office, so it looks pretty cool. Nice. Looks like one of those whimsical little tales. Yeah. Yeah, should be should be fun. Uh, like I said, guys, if you want to check out Killers of the Flower Moon, Apple TV, um, phenomenal, phenomenal movie. We all enjoyed it. We all liked it. Just get your popcorn and your drinks ready because it is it is pretty lengthy. So, other than that, guys, if there's nothing else we need to add to it, next week, two eighty six on to the holdovers next week on another new episode of the Cinnamon Movie Podcast.